0: Here we go. You're listening to the Rumination Tuesday on this January the 26th in the year of our Lord. And we're going to be listening to Son of God, Eternal Savior. Son of God, Eternal Savior, I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And I know normally we have on with us Mark Smith, but they're having some phone problems at KFUO, so I'm gonna be on by myself today. And we're going to be taking a look at this hymn, which is in the hymnal that we have. It's been around for quite a long time. And it was written by Somerset Lowry. Who's Somerset Lowry? He actually was born March the 21st, 1855, in Dublin, Ireland. And in 1879, he was ordained a deacon in the Church of England, and in 1880 became a priest. In 1910, he published a collection of hymns and spiritual songs. And that's where we really got to know him pretty well. This is one of his more famous hymns Son of God, Eternal Savior. He died in Torquay, Devon, in a nursing home on January the 29th, 1932. So, who is the arranger? Maybe this is why I like this hymn. The arranger is Henry Gerkey, who was born in 1948. I know him very well because I rented to him uh, some dwelling. I had some trailers, and he came to St. Louis to become a pastor, so he rented a trailer from me, and he's also played a number of times when I preach at the International Center of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He has quite a background. In fact, he studied under some very important organists and he based hymns on Martin Luther and Paul uh, Gerhardt and also based some organ works on Healy Villain. He's got a whole bunch of arrangements he has in the hymnal. Henry Gerke good friend of mine and a individual who still plays uh, the organ in fact um he's organist at reformation lutheran church here in st louis where pastor david pelsu i know him very well also one of my former field workers and together they do some wonderful services in fact just recently this is how good reformation is I had an individual who wanted to know more about Lutheranism, and he talked to David Pelsu, and now, because he's had some time in catechism, he's become a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod member, and he enjoys going not only to services and the Bible study on Sunday, but also he deals with a Bible study, I think, midweek. So very, very, Uh, important church here in the St. Louis area. So, Son of God, Eternal Savior. I'm by myself, so I'm going to be reading all of the verses. There actually were originally six verses. Uh, Two of them are no longer uh, being used, and I'll kind of go over them. But let's go with verse 1. Son of God, eternal Savior, source of life and truth and grace. Word made flesh, whose birth among us hallows all our human race. You are head, who throned in glory, for your own will ever plead. Fill us with your love and pity, heal our wrongs, and help our need. Now, it should not surprise you that this particular hymn is under the category of society. In fact, it appeared shortly in an 1895 hymnal of the Christian Social Union, a a group formed in 1889 within the Church of England. And what was it dedicated to? To addressing the social and economic needs of the less privileged. In fact, the editors received permission from Lowry to make some differences in his text, which he had no problem with them doing. So this first stanza is very important, addressing our eternal Savior who existed before the foundation of the world. That's a quote from 1 Peter chapter 1. And also, he manifested himself to become the Word made flesh. Remember, that's John 1 14. He became flesh incarnate. He was the Son of God our intercessor and advocate. So he's son of God, eternal savior. Son of God means his divinity. Eternal savior is referring to what he did in his humanity. Now, obviously the divinity participated in that, but he only became savior when he took on human flesh. And he is the source of life and truth and grace. And as Lowry puts it, the word made flesh whose birth among us hallows all our human race. Now, what does that mean? Is that because of the death of Jesus Christ, it's clear from Corinthians that God is now reconciled to the whole world. In other words, where every other religion sees the problem in God and they're trying to get God to be reconciled to them, Christianity has the wonderful news of the gospel that because of the death and resurrection, the sufferings of Jesus Christ, God is now reconciled to you because your sins have been forgiven, which means you are no longer held accountable for those sins. Now, why doesn't everybody go to heaven then? Because some people reject that message. C.F.W. Walther, in Law and Gospel, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, he says, you know, this is the most blessed book ever written, namely the Bible because every word is inspired by God. There's no sections that are just the understanding of some apostle or prophet. No, they're inspired by God. That's what Timothy says. All scripture is inspired by God. And therefore, that is why it's the most important book of all history, because it is God's thinking through the prophets and the apostles. Now, in that thinking, he says that everybody has had their sins forgiven, but one can reject that through unbelief. So even though Christ died for the sins of the whole world, there's no doubt that there are those in the world Who reject that message. And why does CFW Walther say they rejected the message? In fact, I just heard that from a woman I was talking to, and she was saying, yeah, I can't believe that I don't have to do anything for the gift of heaven. It's such a great gift. I've got to do something to earn it. And I responded to her, oh, so you're saying that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, he didn't do enough to pay for your sins. You've got to add to his work. And that kind of silenced her as she had thought about something that obviously had not come across her mind. So the verse goes on, talking about Jesus. You are head who throned in glory for your own will ever plead. Fill us with your love and pity. Heal our wrongs and help our need. So that this is why this is in the category of society. We Christians, yes, we make a distinction between justification and sanctification. Justification is when through faith given to us by the Holy Spirit, we recognize that our sins are forgiven and heaven is our home. Sanctification is our response to that. And therefore, what Lowry is doing in this hymn is helping us to understand that the response is one where we are reminded that Jesus asks us what? To love one another, and and that stands the two. As you, Lord, have lived for others, so may we for others live. Freely have your gifts been granted; freely may your servants give. Yours the gold, and yours the silver, yours the wealth of land and sea. We but stewards of your bounty held in solemn trust will be. It's kind of like when we had children and we're having a meal, we always would thank Jesus for this food. And I don't ever remember any of my kids saying, no, wait a minute, why are we thanking Jesus? Didn't you get money for being a pastor and my wife for being a secretary? isn't that something we earned? It's not all from Jesus. Shouldn't we be thanking you also? But you see, it's Jesus whose gold and silver or cash or checks that we receive is really from him. For example, there are occasions, fortunately not yet this year, where during the winter, I sometimes lose my voice, and it's very hard therefore teach on the radio. But God keeps your voice going. In in fact, uh, there are occasions when people are unable to preach anymore. They can still, shall we say, write out the sermon, but it has to be read by somebody else. We just talked about that uh, about a week ago. So the second stanza reminds us that everything we have is from Jesus and even the ability to get up and walk around and speak and earn a living so that we can supply the needs of our family as well as the needs of others. Verse 3, come, O Christ, and reign among us, King of love, And Prince of Peace, Hush the storm of strife and passion, Bid its cruel discords cease. By your patient years of toiling, By your silent hours of pain, Quench our fevered thirst of pleasure, Stem our selfish greed of gain. So, once more, the life of sanctification is one in which, through Jesus Christ, we're asking that Christ's peaceable kingdom comes among us, a kingdom in which discords will cease and our fevered thirst of pleasure will be quenched and our selfish greed stemmed. Remember, All that sin is, is thinking about yourself and doing what you want to do rather than what God so wills us to do. That's clear from the book of Philippians, where God tells us that Jesus humbled himself for us, and we are to do that likewise. Now, because none of us can be perfect in our sanctification Every day we returned to our baptism and reminder that in baptism we were buried with Christ. We rose with Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of God now, so that when we pray to him, we're praying directly uh, to God the Father, and God will always answer our prayers according to our good. So, we're now moving on to the fourth stanza. Son of God, eternal Savior, source of life and truth and grace, word made flesh whose birth among us hallows all our human race. Now, that's exactly the same as the first stanza up to that point. But then, here's the difference with the first answer, the next part. By your praying, by your willing, that your people should be one. Grant, O oh, grant, our hopes fruition. Here on earth, your will be done. Now, what is Lowry pointing to? He's pointing back to the high priestly prayer of Jesus from John chapter 17, verse 22, that there may be one, even as we, that is Christ and the Father, are one. That's what is being prayed for by Jesus. And that happens in churches. There are occasions when there'll be an argument in church, a lot of times not over doctrine, but maybe a personality type of thing. And the Holy Spirit can bring the congregation back together as the Holy Spirit uses the pastor or others in the congregation to help comfort and restore the congregation to a unity. That's why this hymn is so very good. Now, let me just share with you two verses that are not in the hymnal, stanzas two and five. Here's what stanza two, originally written by Lowry, said, Bind us all as one together in thy church's sacred fold, weak and healthy, poor and wealthy, sad and joyful, young and old. Is there want or pain or sorrow? May we all the burdens share. Are their spirits crushed and broken? Teach us, Lord, to soothe their care. Now, I kind of like that stanza because it's part of the goal of what I'm always talking about in what I want to do in a sermon. First of all, I want to teach the congregation something about the Bible's interpretation of which they were unaware. And that's because the original Greek and Hebrew has nuances that just don't come across a lot of times in the English. But the second thing is you always want to end the sermon on a note of comfort. Teach us, Lord, to soothe their care. And that occurs with a message of the gospel. I kind of like the way he makes the distinctions in the church, in the sacred fold between the weak and the healthy, the poor and the wealthy, the sad and joyful, the young and the old. In other words, it doesn't matter. There's no distinction. As Paul says in Galatians, there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, that we're all one in the sacred fold of the church, one in the sense of being declared righteous by the work of Jesus Christ and receiving that righteousness through faith given by the holy spirit now the other verse that's not in the hymnal is his verse 5 remember he has six verses four of them were in the hymnal this is the fifth verse ah the past is dark behind us strewn with wrecks and stained with blood but before us gleams the vision Of the coming brotherhood, helping, cheering each the other, high and lowly, great and small, linked in bonds of common service for the common Lord of all. It it reminds me of a passage in the Gospel of Mark where the disciples are really castigating Jesus for letting the little children come to him. Why? Because children weren't considered to be very useful or helpful until they grew older and were able to work for the parents. And Jesus says, No, permit the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. In other words, as this verse says, There's no difference between high and lowly, great and small. Even though the disciples were under the impression that they were greater than children, Jesus is saying, no, those of that sort are blessed in the kingdom of God. Now, was he talking just about children? No. He was talking about those who have the attitude of children, there's two things about children that Jesus loved them coming to him. Number one, they don't bring something to Jesus in order to purchase their way into heaven. They offer nothing. And second of all, what is there about a child? I mentioned this in Bible study. There are very few animals in the world who do not take care of their young. But there are some. For example, crocodiles, uh, once the eggs hatch, the the mother just leaves them. And they are meant to feign for themselves. And there's other animals like that where the parents don't stay around. Can you imagine a, a mother, a human mother, having a baby, putting it in the crib, and then leaving for a vacation? No. There's no way, because infants need to be dependent upon someone. And that's what Jesus is saying. Those of true faith are dependent upon what God is doing. And therefore, God is indeed their Christ and Savior. On Tomorrow's Long Gospel... We'll be examining again CFW Walther. We're getting kind of near the end of his lectures on law and gospel given to the seminary students. And so we've got a couple more weeks on them. And once more, you're going to be hearing that there is no law that you can obey in order to be saved. But Jesus obeyed everything for you and transferred it to you i'm tom baker hopefully mark smith will be back next week till tomorrow god bless you
1: listen to law and gospel each weekday morning at 9 30 on kfuo for a tax-deductible gift to law and gospel please make your check payable to concordia mission society and mail it to tom baker po box 28910 st louis missouri 63132 to give online visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll free 1-877-267-1962